Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Hey, welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner and I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And we are so excited that you are joining us today. We are ending our four-week series that we have been calling No Gray. There are many things in life that are gray. Things that we can debate, things that we can disagree about. But what we've been looking at in this series are the things where there is no gray. Some things are black and white. And what we've been looking at for these last four weeks are these kingdom values, the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God stands upon, and the world's values. And so week one, we looked at Matthew chapter six, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we looked at living for the now versus living for the eternal. Week two, we looked at living for selfishness or versus living selflessly. Last week for Mother's Day, it was so exciting. I was joined by our women coordinator, Christy Hagens, and we talked about living for strength versus living for weakness. And I'm excited today to end this series talking about isolation versus connection. Now, this one is interesting because I don't think there's anyone in our culture right now that would say we should isolate from other people. We should definitely be connected. It's not as if the world is saying isolate and Scripture is saying connect. But I think this one is important because I think what we are prone to do right now is isolate ourselves even when we know we should be connected. And so that's really what I want to challenge us in today. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to look at this isolation versus connection. We're really kind of coming out of this season of COVID. I know it's not over yet, and we're still getting vaccinated, and case counts are going down, but there's no doubt in my mind that during this season, people have isolated. I mean, think back to the beginning when we had our stay-at-home orders. If you have a family, you were at least there with your spouse, maybe your kids, your animals, and there was no one else you were seeing. If you were single or you didn't even have a roommate, you were literally at home by yourself for weeks, if not months. And, and we tried to connect with people via Zoom or be, via uh, you know, Facebook Live or all of these different things. But the reality is none of those things truly are able to connect us like being face-to-face. And here we are today being able to be around other people, being able to be in contact and in connection with other people physically But my fear is that many of us are still living in isolation. Yeah, we might not be living in isolation physically, but we're isolating ourselves emotionally. We're isolating ourselves psychologically. We're isolating ourselves socially. And ultimately, many of us are isolating ourselves spiritually. So what does it actually look like? What does God want to tell us and show us about living a connected 
rather than an isolated life. We're going to look again, Galatians chapter 6. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest leaders of the church, wrote to the church at Galatia. And when he gets to the end of chapter 6, he's really kind of giving his last instructions to the church. And here's what he says, starting in verse 1. Brothers, or brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, We will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Isolation versus connection. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing that I want you to see. You can't restore in isolation. You can't restore in isolation. Go back and look at verse 1. Paul starts off saying this, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What Paul is getting at is, listen, all of us are imperfect people. And while if you're a follower of Jesus, you're trying to pursue Jesus, you're going to make mistakes, you're potentially going to fall into sin, and you're going to need correction. And so what he's getting at is, listen, there are people in the church All of us following Jesus, some of us might fall, but the others who are following Jesus will come and help us. And he uses a particular word that's so important. It's the word restore. I like how another translation, the New Living Translation, uh, unpacks this idea for us. Here's what it says. To restore is to gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. It's as if someone's veered off in the wrong direction and you're simply coming alongside of them and helping them back. The word restore is actually a medical word in the Greek world. Its its meaning is to set a fractured or dislocated bone. So here's the reality. What the word implies is that something isn't as it should be. Something is broke or something is going in the wrong direction. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at. Because if you are caught in transgression, what that means is that you are living contrary to the way God wants you to live. And the way that the scriptures describe that is one word, sin. Now I know in our culture, in our world, we don't like the word sin. But sin is basically this. God has set up an ideal way that you and I are to live. It's us obeying God, but 
in our own sinful nature, we choose to live our way rather than God's way. And listen, at, at its core, that is the message of the gospel. That's what the message of Jesus is all about. That Jesus came to earth, put on flesh, became human because he is God, came from heaven to earth, put that flesh on, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave defeating sin, death, and hell. And because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. We can be made right with God, reconciled to God, but it requires a response. Just as Paul talks about restoring a brother, we have to respond to the message of the gospel. The Bible says it's three things. Repentance. It, that's a recognition that the way you have been living is not the way you should be living, and it's turning away from that way. Number two, faith. That is trusting in the message of the gospel, that the life, death, resurrection of Jesus can save you from your sin. And then baptism, publicly confessing that faith to God and everyone present, going under the water, being buried with Jesus, and then coming up out of the water, raised to walk in newness of life. See, what Paul is getting at is we need to be restored because we're walking in a direction that we shouldn't be walking. And the point that he's making, it's, it's undergirding all of this, right? You can't restore another person unless you're in community with that person. So you can't restore or be restored in isolation. And at the same time, as he says restore, catch what he says. You're to restore in a spirit of gentleness, now, if we need to hear anything today, it's that. Because so many of us are on the attack. And rather than restore in gentleness, we want to correct in a mean, hateful way. To, to restore in a spirit of gentleness shows us that restoration is remedial, not punitive. The, the point being, the point of restoration is not to punish but it's that you see your brother or your sister. By the way, did you notice the language that Paul was using for this church? Brother and sister. These are family in Jesus. So the point is to restore. You want to not punish your brother or your sister, your friend. What you want to do is to restore them to the way that they should be living their life because you know that's better for them. It's a spirit of gentleness. Now listen, sometimes we know exactly that what we're doing isn't what we should be doing. But there are other times we have blind spots in our lives. I shared this recently about uh, I've started counseling. And one of the reasons I've started counseling is I'm working through some of my childhood issues and some of the things that are kind of creeping up in my adult life. I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. I trust me on that. But I wanted to work through these things. I wanted to be a better, healthier version of myself. And recently in counseling, I've begun to notice blind spots that I've never seen before. And had it not been for my counselor simply asking me questions and making me process things out loud, I might have never seen these blind spots. That's the power of connection. That's the power of community. That You have somebody, you might be living your life and be totally unaware that 
you're living a particular way or the decisions that you're making are leading you in this direction. And that's what community is for, is to stop you and say, hey, listen, do you see where this is headed? Do you see what these directions are leading you to do? What's going to happen? We all need that. We need to be restored in a spirit of gentleness. And if we're going to have that, then we need to be in connection. And that's the reality, is that you and I, we can be restored in connection. Paul's not the only one that talks about this. Jesus in his earthly ministry, talks about this. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, he talks about restoring a brother or a sister caught in sin. Listen to what he says, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, listen to what Jesus says, you have gained your brother. You're not punishing, you're restoring. Verse 16, but if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, as if he's a sinner, that he's not a part of the church, right? Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, those last few verses we're very familiar with. Binding and loosing, or if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And we typically think about those as in worship. Like, well, the church is gathered together. But did you notice the context? The context is about restoring a brother or sister who has sinned against you. It's a community context. That's saying, listen, if you've made a decision, you've tried to restore the brother, you've called out the sin, and the brother or the sister says, no, 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 I don't want anything of this. And that decision then with those present that, well, they're, they've left the church or they're not going to repent of this. God is saying it's in community that their fate is sealed in a sense, whether they're restored or whether they walk away. But at the same time, I want you to catch the positive part of this. Jesus is saying restoration is a part of life. In fact, I would say restoration is a part of being in the church. Many of us want to be a part of the church without any obligation, without any saying there's something that I'm responsible for. But here's the thing about restoration. One author, Timothy George, says this, restoration cannot be accomplished without confrontation. Now, you hear the word confrontation, immediately you probably start to tense up because the last thing that any of us want is confrontation. But if you see something wrong, you have to confront it, right? We're not using the word confront in necessarily a negative sense where you're angry. Remember what Paul said, restore in a spirit of gentleness. But you do have to call it out. You have to say, hey, again, I see this. Do you see it? Right? So it's in connection that we can restore and at the same time be restored. Community, the church, is a means of grace 
that God uses to sanctify and change us. Just imagine if you weren't in community at all. No one would be there to restore you. I don't, I don't know about you. I know we don't like to be called out on our stuff. But if I'm making a massive error in life, or I'm headed in the wrong direction in life, it is the most loving thing in my mind for someone to tell me I'm doing it. For someone to point out, hey man, you're going the wrong way. You're moving in the wrong direction. Because the fact that they've confronted me and they're trying to restore me shows me, tells me that they love me and want the best for me. So restoration is a good thing and it can only happen when we're connected, in connection, in community. If you want to remain comfortable, remain in isolation. Because you can live the life you want to live. No one's going to tell you anything otherwise. But if you want to grow, get connected. Be connected. So Paul says, you can't restore in isolation. But I also want you to see this in verses 2 through 5. You can't bear burdens in isolation as well. Go back and look at verse 2. Paul says very simply, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word burdens is literally a heavy weight. It's like you're carrying around this weight that you can barely hold by yourself. And Paul is saying, we're as followers of Jesus as the church, we're called to bear up one another's burdens. My wife and I, Rachel, we've been married for almost 14 years. This July will be 14 years of marriage. And believe it or not, in those 14 years of marriage, we have moved 10 times. So I know, you count that, that's like uh, a move every year and a few months, right? And we've just, you know, last year we bought a house, we're settling in, I have no intentions of moving any time soon but i think about moving and i think about bearing burdens literally without the help to bear the literal burden of my stuff i don't know what we would have done there was one time when we moved uh we lived in a uh, like a townhouse and they were right next to each other and we were flipping the townhouses where we lived in one side and we we're moving to the other side and we asked nobody to help us and we didn't even pack our stuff we literally just started grabbing stuff and moving it to the other side and it took forever partially because no one helped us that's the same thing that paul is getting at it's in connection in community that we are able to bear one another's burdens because here's the reality every single one of us at some point in time or another will need help with our burdens the Protestant reformer Martin Luther, who lived during the 1500s, said this about bearing burdens. He said, a Christian must have broad shoulders and sturdy bones to carry the flesh, that is, to say, the weakness of others. Love is gentle, kind, and patient, not in receiving, but in doing, for it has to overlook many things and bear with them. That is true. 
All of us have burdens to carry, and they are heavy. But when we come alongside one another in connection, in community, and bear up one another, what we are doing, what does Paul say? We are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, Paul didn't think, out, think about that out of thin air. He went back to the Gospels. In the upper room, just literally hours before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and here's what he says. John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you do what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, what Jesus is getting at is that the singular thing that should set apart the church, that when the world looks inside the church, what they should see are people who dearly love one another. And what Paul is saying, in turn, is that we demonstrate our love for one another when we bear one another's burdens, where we help carry the load. When we're down and when we're out, when we can't pick up our stuff, that's when we have somebody else come alongside us that we're in community with to help us carry it. You can't bear burdens in isolation, but you can have your burdens carried in connection. When you are in community, people can carry those burdens. Now, I get this. I get this all the time. People don't want to be a burden on other people. But here's the reality about life. All of us are going to live in different seasons of life. And in one season or another, we are going to have burdens. But here is what Paul is getting at. is There are some seasons where you're not going to be burdened, but the person that you're in community with is. Guess what you get to do? You get to pick up and carry their burdens for them. And here's what happens in a later season of life. The person that you carried the burden for no longer is burdened, but you are. And guess what? That person then gets to pick up your burden and carry it. That's how this works. That's why isolation doesn't work and connection matters so much. I I can't tell you. I just started to briefly and broadly think this week about how people have carried my burdens. I already talked about my 10 moves, right? That's a very practical thing. I've had people give me money. People provide childcare. When I need advice on a life issue, people offer advice. When I need to be challenged, people giving me a tough word, that tough love. When I just need somebody's presence, they're there with me. When I need prayer, somebody is praying with me. Here's the thing about burdens, too. I think many of us, when we think about bearing a burden and carrying that burden, we think that we've got to have all of the right things to say or all of the right things to do. But you know, sometimes it's just about presence. I I was reminded of this recently in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Paul says something that is simple yet profound for us. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. 
Right now, you might be carrying a burden for somebody where they are in a low spot. Maybe they've suffered loss. Maybe they're depressed. And you're trying to figure out, how can I carry their burden? How can I love them? How can I serve them? And I would just encourage you to simply weep with them. Your presence is enough. And so just weep with them. Maybe right now, you want to carry a burden by celebrating just rejoice. If something's going well in one of your friends or in your community's life, simply rejoice with those who rejoice. We cannot do life alone because we weren't created to do it alone. There are going to be burdens that you and I simply cannot carry on our own. We need other people. We don't need isolation. We need connection. So in isolation, we can't restore. In isolation, we can't bear one another's burdens. Lastly, I want you to see this. You can't do good in isolation. Verses 6 through 10, Paul lays out a lot here. I want to take you back to verses 9 and 10 and read those two verses. Paul says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I want you to catch what Paul says at the end of verse 10. Let us do good to everyone, but especially who? The household of faith. Paul, And this is exactly what Jesus said, right? Go back to John 13, where... Jesus says, the world will know you are my disciples by how how you love one another. So if we're going to do good, the easiest place, the simplest place where we should be able to do good is where? The church. With the people of God. And Paul brings up this incredible example that I don't want to really belabor, but I want you to see. If you go back and you look at verses uh, 6 and 7 and 8, He's talking about the church and the pastor. And he's basically saying, listen, it's the responsibility of the pastor to deliver the teaching. That is his good work. And in turn, it's the responsibility of the church to take care of financially the pastor. Paul's simply using an example to say this is how we bear burdens and this is how we do good. The pastors teach, the church supports But what he's getting at really goes beyond that. Because again, I really do think what he's getting at is this isolation versus connection. All of this is happening in the church, in the community. But the challenge is that some of this is really hard work. See, most of us want long game results with short game effort. But we all know that long game results only come with long game effort. We thought about it like this as I was sharing this message with my staff this week. uh, The movies, all all the Rocky movies were brought up. Have you ever noticed in the Rocky montages that there's like five minutes of exercise and then Rocky comes out ready to go? That's not real life. I want that. I want to be able to go to the gym, work out for five minutes, and I'm ripped and shredded, and I could you know, do incredible athletic things. That's not reality. 
And that's not reality for anything in life. Doing good to one another is a long game effort. It's going to be long, hard, and tedious work. But what does Paul say? It pays off. Another example of this is in the earlier in the spring, I wanted to plant a garden. So I planted a garden, and I put all kinds of things in this garden. I put tomatoes, I put cucumbers, bell peppers, hot peppers, uh, lettuce, carrots, cilantro, beans, corn. After a couple months, the only thing left in this garden is one bean plant and like four or five things of corn. Now, some of you might be like, you might want to hang it up. It doesn't look like you have a green thumb. Uh, Forget about it, right? I'm persevering to the end because what does Paul tell us? And he uses a gardening or a farming illustration. For in due season, verse 9, we will reap if we do not give up. So you keep doing good even though it's hard and you might not see the payoff in the short term. But you can only do good when you're in connection. You do good when you're in connection. In community, God gives you people to do good to. People that you love, that people that love you. You're able to meet needs. You're able to pray for them. You're able to support them. You're able to have fun together. You're able to give them a meal, prepare them a meal. You're able to challenge them, encourage them. You're able ultimately to do what? Love them. At Vintage Church, we have really two ways that we talk about community often at Vintage. Number one, we have our V groups. Our V groups are small groups of 10 to 20 people who meet throughout the city for transformation, connection, and multiplication. And those are just, it's an opportunity to meet people, build friendships, study the Word of God together, pray together, be on mission together. We also have what we call life groups. Lately, I've been calling these something different. Everybody makes fun of me for it and says it's dorky and corny, but it really gets at the heart of it. Spiritual friends. Spiritual friends is that small group, those three to five gender-specific people that are meeting for things like accountability, Bible reading, prayer, We need both of those forms of community in our life. We need that very small group of men or that very small group of women who are with us always. They know the deepest parts of ourselves. They're challenging us. They're loving us. They're encouraging us. They're praying for us. We need that bigger community of men and women, families and friends that know us, that have fun with us, that encourage us. And and here's why V groups and life groups are so important in the life of vintage. It's simply intentionality. See, I think that if more of us were more intentional with our relationships, with our connection, with our community, we would actually begin to see some life change in us and in others. So for us, V groups and life groups are just a very intentional way that we can love one another, that we can do good to one another, that we can bear one another's burdens, that we can restore one another. That's the power of community. Surround yourself with community and do good to one another. I would encourage you right now, if you're in community, 
ask yourself how intentional you are about being in community. And then answer that question and figure out what you need to do to be more intentional. If you attend online or you come in person regularly to Vintage Church, I want to encourage you and ask, and want you to ask yourself, why haven't I jumped into a V group yet? Why haven't I gotten into a smaller group of people who will get to know me, know my name, know my story, love me, and encourage me? Because every single one of us, we need connection, not isolation. Hopefully along the way, one of the analogies you've noticed that Paul uses in this passage is family. All of us, whether we like them or not, have a family, right? And the challenge with family is this. You don't get to choose your family. You didn't get to choose your dad. You didn't get to choose your mom. You didn't get to choose your brothers or your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. By God's providence, those were the people that you got stuck with, right? Here's the interesting thing about the church. Paul says that it's the household of God. It is a family. Now, I don't want you to compare your messed up family, because we all have them, right, with God's family. Because we're not saying that, well, because our families are messed up, God's family is messed up. Yes, the church is messed up. Why? Because we're all messed up. We're all broken, sinful people. But here's the common denominator. We don't get to pick and choose who's in the church either. Jesus does. Jesus is the one who saves people and brings them into the church. But we do have that one thing in common. It's the thing that connects us together, and his name is Jesus. If you know Jesus, you have not been called to live a life of isolation. When Jesus saved you, he brought you into his church, and he desires for you to be in connection, in community, in his church. And so my question for you is, what do you value more? Isolation or connection? In connection, you can restore and be restored. In connection, you can bear burdens and have your burdens carried. In connection, you can do good and have good done to you. In the face of isolation, because it is all around us, we must pursue connection. Care for ourselves and care for others. You can live in isolation or you can live in connection. Which one do you value more? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you love us. God, that you have always desired for us to be connected to one another. Your desire when you sent your son Jesus to save us was not just to save us and leave us by ourselves, but to save us and then bring us into community that is called your church. And so, Father, I pray for us that we would honestly assess our lives. 
Are we valuing isolation? Are we valuing connection more? And if we say we value connection, then are we living that out? Are we restoring and being restored? Are we bearing burdens and having our burdens bared? Are we doing good and having good done to us? Father, help us to value connection above all. We love you and we thank you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.